Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. On this episode, we talk with Coach Brad Fortney, another important member of the Track Football Consortium community. Brad went to Antioch Community High School in Illinois, where he played football and ran track. Following high school, he went to Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he was first-team all-conference in football and track, both the shot put and the discus. Brad graduated undergrad in 2011 and received his master's in 2013. He had a minicamp tryout with the Chicago Bears in 2012. After this, Brad started coaching and teaching at Kenosha Bradford in Wisconsin until 2018. He was an assistant football coach, assistant basketball coach, head girls track coach, and strength and conditioning coach. He was named Kenosha Unified Coach of the Year in 2018 for his work with all the variety of sports teams he worked with. He also taught and coached football at Lakes Community High School in Illinois in 2018, and he also coached softball at Bradford High School in 2019. Brad moved to Enterprise, Alabama this summer in July, where he continues to teach and works as an assistant football coach and head girls track coach. We are excited to talk about all of his varied experiences in coaching. Brad and I have launched our lower body mobility course for all those looking to take care of their bodies at home. This online course covers the basis of education and exercise you can utilize to promote healthy hips and feet. Additionally, 25% of all proceeds go to the Global Giving Coronavirus Relief Fund. Please check out the show notes for the link to our course. Now on to the show with Brad. When you went there, like what was the aha or what was, what were you doing before? And then what kind of clicked and what did you start implementing after? Sure. So what happened, um, let's go back. So I got to think I think it was 2000. I gotta, I'm trying to think of the date right now. Uh, 2014, and we had a really good track season. I had a stud girl um, who's down running at the University of Jacksonville right now. She won a 11.79 in the 100 as a junior. She was one of your typical girls who would be a cat, you know, uh, really fast. They'd say, oh, she's lazy and things of that nature, but... So I figured, hey, we'll get you in the weight room. I'll sled push you. You know, we'll get real strong and things of that nature. You'll run faster as a senior. Yeah, she ran 12 seconds as a senior. Didn't run anything. (laughs) So as a junior, finished second in state. As a sophomore or as a senior, finished second in state again. Um, She finished second in the 200. And then our four by two shattered, didn't shatter, um, shattered our school record, but ran in the second fastest time in state history. I went 139.40. So we had that. We finished third in state. You know, I was, she was going off to college. It was one of those things of, you know, all these kind of drugs me nuts. Like, man, I thought we did everything right. She didn't get faster. And then our football season, we ended up having, you know, I thought, man, these kids never worked harder. We've been doing a lot of good things. We even doubled up like double days of we'd lift in the morning and run in the morning. And then we'd come back on Tuesdays and Thursdays and do more sprint stuff and work. And we ended up going three and six. So um, I'm sitting down and Tony's the first guy to speak. And he goes, yeah, everybody thinks they do speed work. But if you're not timing 
sprints, you're not doing speed work. I'm like, oh crap, and he thinks, hey, and if you're just in the rack lifting and pushing sleds and think you're getting faster, you're wrong. And I'm like, that's me. And then he keeps, <laughs> you know, previously I read one of his articles of like, uh, 10 reasons why you should join the high school track team. And I'm like, man, I got to meet this guy. And, you know, read that. My track coach actually in high school, John Brumsmith, sent me the article. We're still good friends. He actually ran up at Eau Claire. And he sent me, and it's like, yeah, I got to go to this thing. So we ended up both kind of, hey, did you sign up for it, the first TFC second? I was like, yeah, and so did he, and we went to it. And I was kind of blown away. Like, I'm listening to everything Tony's seeing, and I'm agreeing. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. Like, Monday when I get back in, in for strength and conditioning, we are switching some of these things immediately. So that was a quick aha of – Hey, if you're not sprinting, if you're not if you're not timing sprints, you're not working on speed. And it's like that's hundred percent correct. And I looked at it like everything I did with that athlete, I was like, we didn't time anything. Yeah, we did some, you know, your speed drills and your skips and all that stuff, but never timed. It's like, yeah, we'd put a lot of weight on the sled and push it and think like, oh yeah, your acceleration is gonna be better now. And it all kind of came to fruition after that. Changed everything. Him up there. Yep. it's amazing in school you like for like grades if something's graded you care and if something's not graded you don't care and the only way to really measure progress is to give out grades and scores and things like that but then with sprinting it's not so obvious that you need to you know grade them per se and give them a score and see if they're improving and not just subjectively all oh, that kid's getting faster they look faster we think we're getting faster it's amazing how that disconnect for a lot of people can be there, us included. Oh, 100% so. And, you know, just coming from my background of, like, my parents sent me to Don Beebe Speed Camp when I was 10 years old and, you know, did a bunch of different kind of speed camps growing up. And then, you know, we used to have a place called Athletic Republic where they'd have the speed treadmills and doing that. So, like, I've always been fascinated with the speed stuff but never had it where it was constant of, like, constant getting times, finding my measurement, seeing where I'm going, progression. And like even through college, you know, I, I had the was always I had a, a good throwing all my throws coach. I had three different throws coaches in three years, and one who kind of brought some new stuff. And it was kind of more so the West Side barbell lifting and kind of mix of what Joe DeFranco does. Um, that kind of opened my lights on hey, there's stuff different out there than just your tra- traditional bigger, faster, stronger because that's what it did in high school, and that's kind of what. I want to say our college was kind of mirrored a little bit. You know, we squatted, we cleaned, we benched. But it's like, hey, if if you're running this speed, this is what we're staying, but we're going to get really big in the weight room. And, you know, just that's kind of what I knew. And um, after college, I worked at EFT Sports Performance and kind of did some combine training because I went to a pro day at Northwestern and was with the Chicago Bears for rookie mini camp as a long snapper. Trained at EFT for that, and then they brought me on as a trainer for a year. So I was just training athletes of like, hey, if this got me good enough to do well at a pro day and get looked at, hey, I can apply this to you guys. And it's like, yes, some of this training is working, and some of it's different out of the box of pushing, pulling sleds, um, doing heavy box squats, um, single leg stuff. But we were never time like. If you told me, hey, what was your 40? It's like, yeah, we were in the beginning of football and never again. You know, and that was just one of those things. And the biggest takeaway that I've seen is 
that eight-year-old kid, if you want a young kid to run fast, what do you have to do? You can't just tell him, hey, go run to the fence and back. Hey, I'll time you to the fence and back, and he's going to run as fast as he can. That eight-year-old kid is just 10 years older when you're you're talking about an 18-year-old kid. Is hey, if you want him to run fast, time him. And the best thing, and the this has been the greatest thing so far, is like it doesn't matter how slow somebody is. Like I, I think a lot of kids, especially school-wise, will get discouraged if, hey, I'm just not good at math. Like I, I'm a special ed teacher right now, I co-teach algebra one, so I'm math all day. And they go, hey, I'm not good at math. So what they do initially is just kind of shut down for it where I, I see speed training is and timing they're where they're at of hey if i'm and this is a, a true story on this if i'm a eight eight two in the 40 like that is what i'm at it's not like well i can't run and now all of a sudden i'm a seven five in the 40 you know 12 weeks later like that's huge improvement that's showing me like hey sprinting can be fun not Hey, I'm bad at math and I can't do two plus two. And now you're going to tell me, you know, two X plus four equals six. Like, I'm going to even hate it more. We're sprinting and just timing like that's individually and kids can see their progression and be excited about that and now work to get better on it. So that's been the biggest kind of aha. And yeah, we can just keep feeding this to the kids and you know they like it a lot. Especially for like kids who are bigger or they're slower you can't ever compare them to the fast kids because the fast kids are always going to be faster. But if you individually can get better, that's going to improve your performance and the team's performance, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, for sure. And um, it just, I think it helps hugely with that confidence boost too. I mean, I, Tony said a lot and it makes a lot of sense is like people like to do what they're good at. And even if you don't think you're good at sprinting, but if you're showing improvement on that, that's going to give you more confidence. Hey, I'm getting better at it. Why wouldn't I want to continue to do it? Do you get any pushback from your kids on the way you run your practices now or how you prepare for games, things like that, or from parents maybe or other coaches? So uh, let me – I'll take you back. So I know I kind of skipped this. So I was at Kenosha Bradford for five years. Uh, I was charge of the strength and conditioning – assistant football coach, head girls track coach, and basketball coach. The only reason why I started coaching girls basketball is because I was a head girls track coach and I needed to figure out when I first started um, coaching girls track is, hey, I've never coached girls before and I can't go from football season being intense and then bring that over the track and figure out, you know, what's different between coaching boys and girls. So besides that, I think girls are more receptive and kind of listen to you the first time better than teenage boys do. I mean, a lot of it's the same because teenagers are teenagers. But so my first two years at Bradford, I kind of did, hey, this is how I've been brought up. But these are some ideas that I trained, tried and had the mentality of, you know, we're going to lift heavy like sprinting wasn't something big on it. Our workouts are going to be hard. Hey, if we're puking, yeah, we're getting better. And Hey, we got a hill across the street and yeah, we're going to do 10 sprints up it and only the strong survive. Yada, yada, yada. Well, that next year, and it wasn't just the kids. Uh, that's when I heard Tony and Hey, we're, we're going to sprint three days a week. We're going to time stuff. And yeah, we're not going to do much of practice. 
and we're going to sprint top speed or we're going to do no speed. So it wasn't just the kids that kind of had to sell it on. It was my two assistant coaches, which one was a, had won two state championships as their own as a head coach. And the other one is in, they were both coaching for 25 years and not to disrespect them or anything. I go, Hey, this is what we're doing. And I gave him Tony's little PowerPoint notes of, Hey, don't sprint more than three days a week. And when you're not sprinting, do your X factor drills. So they go, this is what we're doing. I go, yeah. And we went down and saw Tony, but, um, you know, they were, they were kind of on board right away. Once we started seeing results and kids, initially they want to do more hey coach we're not doing enough like be patient coach we're not doing enough it almost took till they started seeing results in the meets to start believing it and the kids who were doing stuff on the extra weren't wreaking the benefit to the kids who were just doing i don't want to say bare minimum but who were doing just what we did at practice and then go home and be lazy um and then that following year it all changed of this is how we're doing doing things and that trickled over into the other sports, which kind of helped because having my hand in the strength and conditioning for football, girls, basketball, and track for both boys and girls, even softball would lift with us during the summer as they kids were already experiencing of, Hey, we're doing timing stuff. Hey, we're measuring stuff. Hey, we're showing improvement. And then that just kind of tracked over into, all right, football when we hit football in the fall and then basketball of we were recording ranking and publishing stuff in those seasons too because i'd bring the free lap out to football practice for our linebackers and be timing our blitzes off the edge or would use it with their dns to figure out how fast could they get to the quarterback so when it push came to shove in crunch time when it was clear down and we needed to get off the field who can we blitz from the left side or the right side to end up getting the sack for us who's going to be is this our outside backer is he better from the left or right and then we could set up a call for that um that led over to basketball season where we started actually timing flying pens and doing vertical jumps on monday to see how fresh our kids were recovered on monday to see what we could do in practice because we had a game on tuesday um and the coaches just started seeing oh yeah this stuff is working so um just at bradford alone it only it only took that track season then everything kind of filled in i went to lakes last year and um the kids were the kids were pretty good on it i didn't coach track last year at lakes i only coached football there and then um jaden was born our daughter so i wasn't going to coach football again this year or i wasn't going to i wasn't going to do track um, I ended up doing softball by default. The softball coach, because I was working out, at, um, used to train his kids in the summer. He comes up to me and goes, hey, I know you don't know crap about softball, and I don't know crap about sprinting, but together we'd make a good team. And he was like, we'll make it, we'll make it work, because my wife was working for him already. She'd been coaching for him for six years. So I go, okay. So he goes, all I want you to do is you're like our physical preparation coach. We'll work on speed. You'll work on movement. And he's like, I want to start this RPR stuff that you guys have been doing. So that was that was my job. Like, I didn't even know what a fungo was, which apparently that's the thing where you you toss a ball up and hit. I didn't know that it had a technical name. <laughs> <laughs> Until I, just, I, learned, I, like, I think I learned that about a week ago, actually, from a client. Yeah. I had never heard of a fungo before. They're like, you're going to get good at fungos. I go, what's that? I, they go, where you, you know, a fungo. You throw it up and hit it. I was like. I thought that's just throwing up and hitting it. <laughs> um, but that really helped me dive in. And the kids had already been used to me because, you know, I'd work them out in the summers and 
you know, I'd coach them other other sports, some of the girls too in basketball or softball players. So it worked out really nice where, yeah, we were time in flying tens last year for softball. And the crazy thing about this, if I took my top four girls in flying tens from the softball team and matched it to my four by four team the year before, the softball team had faster girls on it than the state qualifying four by four team did the year before that that four by four team also set the school record so it, i joked with the softball coach i was like man if we don't make it to state for softball i was like i think these four girls could make it out for track <laughs> <laughs> good athletes on that's what i like oh, to yeah. see you. and that that was a heck of a ride and you know that got me a, a, i got to work with john ruffalo who's i would say one of the smartest and best softball coaches in the nation just he is a guy who will figure out ways to win uh, when he's got nothing and trying to do and stay ahead of the curve and always something on the cutting edge. And I think that's why we're kind of a match made in heaven last year. And he kind of let me do my thing. And the kids were totally bought in, you know, to the speed stuff and RPR. And, you know, we did other con- unconventional things during softball last year where even when we went down – so we made it to state last year. We had a, a pretty good run. And – um, you get 30 minutes the day before you play your game on the practice field. We didn't even hit a ground ball, no nothing, didn't have gloves on. And he had, we put him through just a little workout of, we did our speed drills to warm up. We did some, um, just some rebounds. And then we ended up doing um, some breathing stuff and kind of put, had the kids mentally visualize and put them through stressful situations and worked on, hey, if something goes wrong tomorrow, just remember to breathe. And, you know, that was our saying all softball, that just breathe through your belly and to belly breathe. So that gave me a, a big opening last year of understanding how important breathing was. And then coming down to Alabama, actually, when I got done with softball last year, that Monday I got a call from my buddy who was down here, said he needed a linebackers coach. He goes, what do you think about coming down to Alabama? Oh, um, I didn't think about it. I got to talk to the wife. So he texts me, <laughs> I don't know, six hours later at night. He goes, I take it it's annoying. I was like, actually, she's interested. So we literally flew out maybe five days later, came, checked it out. Um, the head coach has been – had won three state titles in Florida, and he just came to Alabama. The defense coordinator, who's my buddy down here, Jed Kennedy, he was up in Wisconsin, um, won a state title up there, played in three – three state games. Um, I actually almost worked with them like five years prior. And, uh, you know, being down here and then we met with the superintendent and my wife got offered a job when we were down here with the superintendent and, you know, we're driving back and she goes, we kind of discussed a, why not try it down here? So bringing the kind of our less is more speed stuff to you know, two guys will probably be Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, they got state titles. They've won uh, – Rick's won over 200 games. Jed is a head coach, has won over 100 games. So you got over 300 games um, between the two. And, you know, they've bought into the kind of less is more for the sprinting stuff and RPR, and it, it's been great and just very impactful. And the kids have been very receptive to it because they haven't had direction. I shouldn't say they shouldn't have had direction, but they have speed has not been an emphasis down here in Alabama. And think about it where you guys are up in Minnesota and everybody here, oh, the South, they got speed. The South, they got speed. I was crunching some numbers today. 
Um, we had out of 113 kids when we first timed 40s, we had 16 under a 4.8 out of 113 kids. 16 under wow. a 4.8. So we tested 12 weeks later. So every other week starting in January, we'd run 40s or flying times on Monday because that was our freshest time. Or it'd be Tuesday if we had Monday off. So right before coronavirus hit and we had to shut down school, you know, we were testing 40s that week. Well, we currently have 32 kids under a 4.8. So in the span of 12 weeks, we've doubled our kids underneath a 4.8 in their 40s. And just even our all our times and um, I'll, I'll send you guys the, the graph of it. But you can see just from when we started January 8th till when we last tested in March on those things of just the improvement. I mean, we've averaged almost two-tenths improvement on 40. And it's not saying that I'm doing some crazy drills down here and we're just masters of it. Kids just don't know how to sprint. Like, kids know how to run. And they know some know how to run slow because they hate conditioning. But realistically, it's just telling like, we work on just pure sprinting. We do base schools, um, sprint drills that you guys probably saw Tony Holler do. You know, we've taken that, and that just mirrors into, okay, we're going to time you. And just timing for 12 weeks has drastically improved our kids' ability to sprint, but also, you know, doing the speed drills and mini hurdles has improved our mechanics and the way they move. So they become more efficient, but it, it's, it's been kind of crazy for me because just seeing that drastic change. And the nice thing is it's not just football players that we do it. Our, our baseball players here are doing speed work while we were in season and our basketball team. I, I mean, I have forties on the, our basketball players and flying tons on our basketball players and even all our eighth grade football players. So on a given Monday, I will time about 250 flying tons or forties. Wow. And just, crazy. it's crazy to watch them adapt. Just purely sprinting and having them time, how much that, that has changed everything. Because now you're not just watching a kid move slow because, oh, I'm going to look like I'm going to try to run hard or run fast because, you know, coach is looking at me, but <laughs> actually hearing and, all right, yeah, I'm staying tall and I'm trying to push as hard as I can into the ground because I know that's going to push me out farther, so I'm going to run faster. It's been wild, and that's what's going to make this next, whenever we do come back. I mean, this time off and alone and isolated kind of makes it important because we've made so much gains in the last 12 weeks of, all right, how do we maintain this since speed's going to be the first thing to go if the kids aren't running at home. Yeah. How have you adapted to the coronavirus in terms of reaching out to your kids, having your kids do stuff at home? How has that been going so far? So – with, um, I should say, with kind of how we've been programming and whatnot, most of our football players do track. And so what's been nice is some extra things that I've done at track practice, I've been able to share with our kids who are also football players. So I'd say between now down here in Alabama, I can have seventh and eighth graders on the high school track team. So 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. So we have a fair share number. Um, I'd say probably about 25% of our incoming freshmen are on the track team. 
And then I'd say about we're about 75% of our football players are on the track team. So I already had most of those guys on remind and been communicating with them. But what we've done as a football staff that I think has been really helpful is each position group has taken their kids in their position. And we've been communicating with those guys a couple times a week just to check in with the kids. Hey, how are you doing? I've actually set up workouts that I send out on Mondays to the kids where, okay, here's your stuff for this week. It's not just a um, Google Doc that says some words on it. I've videotaped myself or I attach some YouTube videos to it to, hey, guys, make sure you're getting this done this week. And then I'm just trying to have constant communication. We've been communicating as a staff uh, for football-wise of, hey, who have you talked to? Who haven't you talked to? You know, have they texted anything back? And it's been nice. I've, I've gotten quite a few pictures and videos from kids of like, hey, coach, I did this today. Hey, coach, I did this today. Hey, I did the explosive workout you sent me. You know, I, I text kid, actually I text a kid today, and I was like, hey, you know, I was just looking over your 40 numbers, and I was like, you made drastic changes. And I was like, even your, your flight time number in the last 12 weeks, I was like, have you been, I was like, have you been staying active, been doing stuff? Yeah, coach, uh, I've been fixing stuff around the house, and I've been stretching. I go, have you been sprinting at all? He goes, you know, I was like, if you don't want to lose anything that we just gained, I was like, you got to be doing that. He's like, yes, sir, I'll make sure I get that done. So yeah. he sent me a text later today of, uh, actually, a video of him r- sprinting in his yard. So there we go. There we go. I mean, I I really wish I could give this guy credit to know who it was. Um, saw it on Twitter the other day that you know everyone always talks about relationships, relationships, relationships. Now more than ever, will really I, I think distinguish the teams, the ones who are who's got the great relationships with their kids and who doesn't. And I think that's ultimately when we do get going back, um, kind of what's going to bridge the gap and bring people closer and may, what teams are going to be more successful, especially if we get back sometime in the summer or if it's pushed back later or if we have a reduced schedule for this or that. I, I mean, I think those relationships now are – they've been big always. and I'm a firm believer on that. But I think it, it's bigger now than ever because, I mean, just being isolated by yourself, you can be – going nuts unless people are checking in on you. And I think as long as coaches and players are constantly communicating and that's what we have set in place right now and kind of sending out weekly stuff for the kids, I I think that's going to guide us for some good success coming up and we shouldn't lose that much. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point where um, that relationship piece, when you do, when you implement more of that like minimal effective dose and you make your training super efficient where the kids are able to actually enjoy the sport more and then they're able to like build that relationship with you better versus you just like them interacting with you as like knowing that you're the guy that's just going to run them into the ground and then they go home and recover and then they see you and you run them into the ground. Like there's, there's more, I think by implementing this stuff, there's the opportunity to have a better relationship with your athletes because they don't view you as someone that's just going to like punish them with running until they throw up they view it as like you guys are mutually trying to get faster, you know? Oh, hundred percent. I think what you're saying is, is super true where you're going to be able to have better relationships and probably come out on the other side of this a lot better because those athletes like respect what you've been doing and enjoy the process. 
Oh, 100%. So, I mean, we've even gotten to a spot where this is crazy. So, and even our even our head coach, he's been great about it football-wise. Now, I have control for the track stuff, but, like, it's been so critical that our speed training has been done when we are fresh that, you know, we will sometimes sacrifice some stuff in the weight room of, like, Hey, we were supposed to do this in the weight room, but we got 40s today. We got to get 40s in then, and we'll push that stuff back to the next day. And it's like, well, this is great because I've never had that good of a relationship between football, basketball, track, and baseball of just kind of, here's our mindset. This is, we want to work on that skill of sprinting. But with that being said, when we're timing stuff or kids are running, like I'll pull them to the side and be, hey, you're not timing today. What do you mean, coach? I'm fine. It's like, no, you're not moving one. And the kids kind of respect that and have been more honest with it. Or they run their first 40 and, you know, I try to use that 95% cutoff or drop off. If you're doing anything under 95% and you're not working top speed anymore. So if I got a kid who's usually running a 4.8 and he he drops a 5 flat, a 5.1, it's like, yeah, you're not running again. Well, why not, Coach? I know something's bugging you and I know you don't, you don't want to be 100% honest right now with me, but if we can just rest you. And that has gone such a long way for our kid for just not only, I think, give it, having the confidence to understand I need to be 100% healthy to perform my best, but also that communication piece and to feel like, well, coach isn't going to get on my case because he thinks I'm dogging and I'm actually hurt. So yeah. I, I think the kids really appreciate that. And you can really tell that with our kids right now of, hey, I, it used to be the thing of like, you know, way back when of like, you do something because a coach told you to do it, right? And you wouldn't question it. And we're not going to question authority to where I think if we can show that we care as coaches, it's not because a coach said I have to do it. It's because I care about the coach and I want to show him I can do it. And exactly. be the best. Yeah, 100%. And that's so, so actually I want to circle back to what you said earlier about, I think it was when you were talking about the basketball kids where you would on Mondays, test like flying tens and verticals to essentially assess if they were like fresh enough or not yes i'm wondering so i'm wondering if i interpreted that right where like basically you're you're almost using this speed and explosive work as like an assessment of their nervous system to see if they're like if they slept well enough if their diet's good enough if they, basically if their nervous system is functioning at a level where they can compete 100 percent. so so here's how the normal basketball season would work is we have a game Tuesday night. We'd have a game Friday night. Sometimes Saturday. Usually what I do is, all right, I'll give you the rundown. So during basketball season, and this was dumb on my part, and I'd switch it now if I could, 6 a.m. I'd do morning workouts for usually football. I'd have basketball practice because I was a JV basketball coach right after school. Well, Mondays and Wednesdays, I'd have track workouts whenever basketball would get done. So like five to six at night. So I was at the school for at least 13 hours, most of the fall, uh, winter. So that's how I do it. Saturdays I'd used to bring the track kids in because we had a 160 meter indoor track and we'd be like, Hey, we're going to, we'll time on Saturdays. You guys will have a Thursday, Friday coming Saturday morning when you guys wake up at nine. Well, when I do that, some kids would come in and just take free throws and shoot around for basketball. Um, so we'd have Friday night, we'd play a game. Saturday, basketball, if they wanted to come and shoot around, they could. I would be in there because I was working with 
some kids on some speed stuff. And then Monday, what I wanted to see is how hard can we practice the kids, but also get in our essential skills of sprinting and being explosive. So you're hundred percent right. Seeing if the nervous system, could we kind of get up and down the court a little bit, even though we got a game tomorrow, or do we need to even cut it back more? And like, I don't want to say walk through, but have it more of a mental practice where we need to take the pace down and make you fresher for more for Tuesday. That's awesome. I, I love that. I haven't like thought of it in that way before of, or just, I guess, like put two and two together of using that more of a, like an assessment tool for their nervous system firing versus just like what their time is. So I, yeah. I love that you guys do that to just like see where they're at. Have you, and have that's, you uh, that's the thing that will lead this, this fall for football season. I mean, we use it right now in the springtime for our, because we lift during class. We're on black scheduling. So we do that during class right now to kind of dictate, all right, how can we push in the weight room? But they'll be kind of a big indicator going in the summer and in the season whenever we get back on track of, all right, we'll use that to kind of dictate how practice is going to go. And is our kid fully recovered from Friday? And I mean, that, t- I that. that tells you so much more information yes you can use the eye test when some kid looks sluggish but when your best player is not moving like he usually does and you know he's going to fight through it anyways or she's going to fight through it anyways it's like that is the thing that gives you backup proof of okay something's off yeah yeah and then yeah and then you're going to be able to decrease their injury rate as a result too and oh, everything like hugely. that hugely. so so would you um, I'm just curious now, have you ever gotten into like heart rate variability or anything else where you're like looking at how well an athlete is recovered or anything like that? Or I have not. Um, the, you know, I've kind of used that as my guide and tool to go. I actually, um, there was one other example that like I use vertical jump, but I actually had, I was talked to our AP psych teacher when I was still coaching basketball, our two best players were an AP psych and he always tested on Friday and I pulled up stats and it was just by coincidence. I was like, you know, the psychological stress that your test is putting on them is impacting their games on Friday. I was like, can't you move them to Thursday? He's like, we always test Friday. So it was kind of coincidental just saying, I don't have any proof. And remember, I'm just a special ed teacher. Um, that like they would have more turnovers on Friday night than they did on Tuesday. So, I, yeah, I, you know, obviously later in the week and things of that nature, but we did see some variants of, you know, turnovers and decision-making was decreased on Friday than it was on Tuesday. And that could have been, you know, a number of things. Like I said, I'm not too smart to figure it out, but those are a couple of things that I would always give the AP psych teacher <laughs> crap about. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's super true, though, like stress levels and, and how that affects your nervous system and oh, um, yeah. processing, cognitive functioning, everything, like 100%. Yeah, and it, looking at it that deeply is like some people just kind of overshadow it and it's like, well, the kid's a, it's a good kid. They'll work hard. And our two best basketball players also had to be the kids who are the, probably the two best kids in their class. So you know they were not only – working hard on the court, but they're working hard on their grades and up late and things of that nature. So I, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I haven't gotten too much on the heart rate stuff, but you know, what eventually like to do that. I do think um, through softball this past year, I mean, 
I could almost call out if it was a stressful situation for um, either the batter or the pitcher. If we're talking about a three-one count and the pitcher takes a chest breath, she's probably like I was pretty spot on calling it out because I was taking the stats for softball too because I didn't know anything else about it. But you know, plug in the stats like I could call a ball or a strike, or if a batter was in a full count and they took a big chest breath and not a belly breath. Um, you could tell that, hey, they're going to strike out here or make a bad decision or put the ball down and be out. So, like, I haven't – I should say, besides the tens vertical jumps, like, I just kind of pay attention to how people breathe. Yeah. But, so, so dive into that more because I know you mentioned that earlier too. You guys do, like, some breathing work and, like, you – I'm not assuming you, like, simulate a stressful situation. And okay. Breathe different ways. So like, the, I, I want to hear more about that. So – when we implemented RPR last year for softball, we took a Saturday. We brought all the kids in. I had them partner up. We did some tests. We started with breathing, just them. All right, touch your toes. Okay, breathe through your belly, not your chest. Like, taught them how to belly breathe. Touch your toes again. Then we did kind of all the other drills that you would do um, to just all the other tests, I should say, after the drills to see if they're working or not. Well, you know, in practice, we kept saying, all right, belly breathe, belly breathe. Well, our first game, we get in a stressful situation. It's bottom of the seventh. We got two on. There's two outs. There's a full count. Uh, Coach Ruffalo tells the girl in the box, hey, remember two breaths and swing. Because we've been working on that, too, in, in the batting cage of, you know, they'd work their routine. They'd keep their mouth shut, breathe through their nose for two breaths and do it well. He tells her, hey, two breaths. And I just watch her take two huge chest breaths. And my wife's sitting next to me as I'm putting that. I was like, she's going to strike out. Sure enough, swing and miss. Well, the other team ends up scoring a couple runs in the next inning. We end up losing. We had opportunities. And that was the perfect time for – I talked to Coach Ruffalo after the game, and he's a, he's a very intense guy. And, you know, I'm I'm – the village of the, the softball. So I was just talking to him about breathing stuff. <laughs> hey, can I go over breathing stuff tomorrow? I was like, I, I think I figured something out. So we started practice that next day. I lined up our captains and the girl who just, when we had a chance, the game on the line ended up not scoring. So we went over the importance of belly breathing. So if you were to take line up, Four people, you could line up all. We had 16 on our roster for state. So they're standing shoulder to shoulder. They put their right arm around each other. So they're connective. We put our captain, um, girl who's at Minnesota right now, um, she's at the far end. And I told her to put her right arm up. So she's got her right arm up. And I was like, okay, everybody do, as you would pass, she's strong. I was like, okay, everybody belly breathe. And everyone's belly breathing. We test her. She's still strong. So I go over to the girl, and I don't say anything to the other one. I have on a note card the situation from the, the night before in the game. Two outs, two on, full count. And I said, start chest breathing. So she's chest breathing, and she's at the far end. So she's the fourth girl in line. Our captain's at the other end. Um, she's got her arm up, and I go, okay, hold your strength there. Her arm goes straight down, lost strength. So I flip my card over for the girl and I go start belly breathing for the one girl on the far left. And it gave that girl on the far right her strength right back. 
So the girls were like, what the heck just happened? Like, this is crazy voodoo. This doesn't make sense. And I, so went to the next person because she had an error in the game. One of her captains lost strength when she was chest breathing, brought back when it was belly breathing. So we went all through the line. I go, just the way you breathe <clears throat> dictates the way you perform. And I was like, let me say that again. Just the way you breathe dictates the way you perform. I go, when we get in stressful situations and we get emotional into our chest, I go, we become tunnel vision. I go, for us to be, as like that puts us in an explode state of mind, I go, we will not perform to our best. I was like, if we get lucky, we get lucky. I go, for us to perform in stressful situations, I was like, we have to remain calm and belly breathe. As like for us to be able to belly breathe, you have to breathe through your nose. And I go, that clears everything else going on on the stress level. I go, I just showed you guys through that. So everything we did there on in practice, our routine wise, everything we did was dictated on their breathing. Our pitchers on the mound between signals from our, our pitching coach would have their hand on their belly and belly breathing um, in between pitches. When a kid would take a bad swing or whatnot, until they take two breaths. So then they finally stepped out of the box. You'd see their hand on their belly, just belly breathing. Um, you, we started getting freshmen telling seniors, hey, just breathe. And they knew when we'd say just breathe that they'd belly breathe and they'd clear their mind and help with the um, impact and the effect. So that took us from, hey, yeah, we know we breathe because that's how we survive. Like, no, we're going to breathe to perform. And it's that important that we have to be able to do that too. Whereas we didn't win conference last year, but we went on a nice run in the playoffs. And then, you know, the day before our, our state game, I we lined up all 16 kids and I went through every single one who made an error during the game. And I was like, all right, two on, two out. I was like, they just hit a fly ball to center field and you dropped it to our, um, our left fielder. I go, now they're up one and – I was like, how are you feeling? She was like, why would you say that to me? And she starts like panicking. <laughs> because all you do is just breathe, belly breathe. And I tell you what, it was kind of cool. Um, she was an all-state kid. But it was cool talking to her because her the big knock on her was previous like, yeah, in stressful situations and big games, sometimes she doesn't show up. Well, her quarterfinal game, she ended up hitting a home run. And our semifinal game that we ended up losing – um, she played very, very well. And I talked to her after the game. I go, hey, how'd you feel? She goes, you know, it sucks. But she's like, I had so much fun playing. I go, that is what it's all about. We're getting the kids in the right mind to be able to play where it's fun. It, it, it starts with breathing stuff. I, I truly believe that. And um, Steve Jones has been an awesome friend. I, I'd say slash mentor. Uh, he's got a lot of mental skills training stuff so some of the stuff that you shared with me of you know reminding the kids that hey it's a game they've played a thousand times to work on the mental side of the game has been real real important that's what we worked with the girls and i think just the breathing goes hand in hand with that stuff and it's not just the breathing that we do to survive and actually live but it's it's the breathing to perform that's that's critical have you ever read The Oxygen Advantage? Yes. So that is a that is a great book, and highly recommend that for everyone and anybody. 
I would imagine, too, when you're in a state tournament-type situation, all the kids know how to hit, they know how to field, they know how to pitch, or they know how to shoot or pass or whatever the skill might be. And the, the most important thing is, are you mentally ready? Are you, are you breathing right? Are you physically preparing yourself for doing these high-level skills tomorrow at your game or tournament or whatever it might be? And uh, getting the kids to focus on those things they can control and to know I need to trust my skills because I've spent my whole life up to this moment. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a little bit different because everyone wants to practice, 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 but you give them the right headspace and, and a lot of good things happen. I well, would imagine. Here's the thing. You just got to intentionally do it. Like, here's the thing. I could tell you belly breathe. Well, you don't care, but I like to say everybody goes back to default. So mm-hmm. what you know is what you go back to. So if you're not intentionally training that, if you're not making that important and critical, I'm not going to do it when I'm not thinking about it. I'm not going to do it when it's important. I'm going to go, well, my body's used to chest breathing or my body's just moving it this way. So that's been the the big thing is teaching that and going over it and making a point of emphasis in an unstressful situation makes the body be able to do it in a stressful situation. I mean, that that goes back to what they say, like Navy SEALs, actually any kind of military training is, you know, you go back to your least basic training. Well, Telling somebody to breathe isn't your basic training on that. Teaching them how to, and it's just like everything. That Now that's your least basic training on it. And that goes even over for sprinting stuff, too. You could tell a kid, oh, I'll run faster. Well, no doubt, but, <laughs> you know, if their mechanics are off or if they don't have mechanics and it's just kind of their body trying to figure out and process, okay, how do I move faster? And it, that, that. Ties into what you were saying too earlier, where I was curious as far as uh, when you're first seeing someone, or they're just like they're they're first getting into your program of sprinting. What are a couple of the things that really stand out that they're lacking, or like a couple of key things where you need to focus on? And I know you said you guys do a lot of different work from um, you know that you've learned from Tony Holler and you've created your own. But like, what are some like just a couple of key takeaways where if someone's listening to this, they want to like go and try sprinting tomorrow, they can focus on just a couple things. Sure. Well, first off, I have to thank and, uh, well, yeah, I should say thank and then sometimes it's, man, I wish I didn't see this, but uh, Chris Corfus has completely changed my mind and has ruined the way I look at things forever and ever. (laughs) In In a good way, though. In a good way, because like, I pay attention to people's ankles and their feet when they're walk and just that kind of movement and the stuff that, you know, he's been willing to share and anybody out there, like, he is a fountain of information, a brilliant guy, but things he's done for co-ISOs, RPR, just movement-wise, um, I've, we've become pretty good friends. And I view him just like Tony as a mentor, a friend and mentor for me because they've been so grateful and um, sharing and helping and, you know, um, but with that being said is I look at seeing if a kid can a lot of times, like I really wish we would have filmed this, but our, our corners who are like six, one and six feet, were running like they're five, six. And then Damn. you see how their legs hit the ground and they, they don't know that they need to push it to the ground. And they get really short when they run. And then their foot hitting the ground is they're not trying to 
strike the ground hard. It's just kind of, well, I'm going to try to pick my feet up a little bit and then I'm going to try to reach out. So those are the biggest things that I usually see right away is someone not being tall. And if they're not being tall, it's usually because they're not pushing hard on the ground. And if they're not pushing hard on the ground, it's usually because they're trying to reach on their, their stride. So those are like my big cues right away. And I know it's some of my coaches be like, well, why aren't you coaching the arms or why aren't you doing that? It's like, that's all a byproduct of if their foot's hitting the ground and striking hard enough. So what I will do is when we start our speed stuff, it's like, Hey, I need you guys as tall as possible. If you're six foot, I need you six, two right now. You know, it, and we have some short guys. So if you're five, four, I need you five, seven. I don't, I don't need you four, nine. Um, so getting tall and then just, teaching them and showing them properly like this is how we need to strike the ground this is how we need to strike the ground so if you were to go run in your backyard today um, i would say try to stay up tall and then making sure you're you are striking the ground straight out underneath you and you're not reaching out for anything because I, I think the misconception is um that's why i kind of stopped doing b skip is people like reaching or the clawing and like that's the way that i was brought up is hey you need to claw and you sit up and do drills for it and mm -hmm. i think getting just people out of that mindset and like hey hit the ground right underneath you need to push hard to get out forward and stay up tall i, I think that corrects so much of the stuff and the the kids just getting used to it or anybody getting used to being up tall while trying to sprint i mean helps so much mechanically yeah, that's I think really that makes nice. It's a lot easier to just have a couple like quick, easy cues versus so many things to focus on. Because at a certain point, it just becomes way too much. Like, all right, swing your arms at this speed and yeah. make sure that you know you're driving your hips up and everything like that. Like, two or three just like quick hitters that are probably going to help most people clear out the dysfunctions. Well, and here's a here's a nice thing too is like I like to use get big, and then that's. And that trickles down into multiple cues. But our first thing is just standing tall to get big. So when they're when we're doing, you know, a skips, if we're doing high knee butt kicks, any of those, it's like, hey, I need you tall. So get big. Well, that turns into big knee up in front, right? So they know that when I'm big, I need to be big like a monster that my knee's up in front. Well, then that trickles into, hey, my hands are big. Everything's big on my body. Not that I'm bringing it down. I'm trying to squeeze my fist, anything like that. My hands are big. My knee's coming up big. My foot's up big. My height. So that all trickles down. And I really wish I would have filmed this too. But, you know, the first couple of days that we started doing some speed work, the coaches are like, wait, why aren't we? Like, they're like, hands big. Move your hands. Move your hands. I was like, don't worry about that. They're like, why not? I was like, it's a byproduct of us pushing hard into the ground. I go, once we figure out how to push on the ground, we'll talk about hands. But I was like, I don't care about that right now. But look how bad it is. I was like, yeah, because they don't know how to push into the ground. So I was like, we're, we're taking all those compensation patterns that they've built up through the years for whatever sports they're playing, whatever they're doing in the backyard. And now we're acting, telling them to run in a straight line, do a sprint that's an actual skill, and they can't do it because their body just hasn't doesn't know how to do it. So... Um, I, my, the, the get big, I like using because it all starts with their height. And then I can use that with their knee being up in front I can use that with their hands. And it's just kind of our one cue and the kids over time understand, well, if I'm big, everything's big. Yeah. I think it's, it's huge to have those like phrases like that too, that kind of encompass a lot of things. Like I think yeah. like with golf, right? Like if you play golf, there's probably like a hundred cues that you could think of as far as like, 
you know, keep your eyes down and, and yeah. here and everything like that. Um, and I had a, I had a golf teacher once that just said like hinge hips and hold. And it was just like, Oh yeah. Like made sense. You know what I mean? Like you're able to like understand what that means. You're not having to like be super cognitive when you're doing the activity. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what it is. Like the more, the more automatic it can be and the less that you're thinking about it, the better you're going to perform, the lower your anxiety, you know, going back to like the nervous system stuff. Like when you're trying to think about 10 cues at once, that's like high yeah. stress. And then you're, yeah. and then and you're probably going to be doing those things. Right. But then you're breathing in your chest or things True. like that, you know, and you look at it, it's like most of the time, most of the things we're doing anyways are basic fundamental skills. And if we think about it, so if I'm trying to, those are things that I should be able to do. I think in most sports be able to do with, you know, subconsciously without thinking. But if we start thinking on those things, that's going to slow down our, our process and our way of thinking and our ability to do all that stuff. So, you know, that, that was a big thing for even, even softball just telling them like, Hey, just breathe. That works. So there's, you know, linebacker that coach this year, when things would get stressful or we'd have to go out there, I'd just tell them, Hey, remember, just breathe. And I would just calm them down and be like, Hey, we're going to do what we do. And you're hundred percent right on that is instead of the, the thousand cues, ton cues or getting them thinking it's clear the mind and let them go. When we were talking early on, um, you know, asking from the point of view of like someone who's new to coaching or training, um, you touched on early where it's like kids want to do more. Right. So in a lot of situations, whether you're seeing a client one-on-one -on -one or you're a coach and you have a team, it's hard to do, um, minimalist style training because they feel like they need to be sweating super hard and like panting and puking at the end of the workout. And yeah. obviously by now you've kind of built up that reputation and everyone's in the same understanding and you have it across different sports. But as somebody like just starting out who wants to start implementing that for their team, but like they're kind of going against the system and going against maybe their assistant coaches and the athletes, like how do you, I guess, how do you portray that? And how do you stay strong with that? Like, without, without like having seen the results yourself, right? Because I mean, you kind of said when you, when you went to TFC and you decided that you were going to implement this stuff, like you hadn't actually seen the results for you yet. No. You know yeah. I mean? So, so it's, it's like, were you just, you had an open mind going into it or you had kind of seen that the high volume stuff wasn't working as well as you thought or I guess that's, that's a separate well, question. Kind of both of those questions. You know yeah, I mean? so I'll, I'll merge that in. So, well, for a coach who's kind of diving into it, and the reason why I went into it is because I've been on a pursuit, and kind of my philosophy is like, let's make the, the athlete the best they possibly can be. Not, well, we have to be married to this certain lift, this certain exercise, this certain program. It's, all right, how do we keep improving? And, and through my experiences, you know, through high school, through college, and, you know, um, even coaching, it's like, all right, how do we get better? How do we get better? How do we keep evolving? Because if everybody's doing the same thing, um, I don't I don't think we'd have an advantage. I didn't think we'd have an advantage if I were doing what everybody else was doing when I was at Bradford, at Lakes, or now where I'm at Enterprise. For sure not where I'm at Enterprise now. Um, we play some schools with who have some absolute studs. But, you know, what is going to give us an advantage? So when you're a coach, kind of – Hey, let's, I'm going to take a minimal effective dose and all right, what I used to do, I'm going to split that in half or take a quarter of, you know, take only a quarter of it. The biggest thing is just to be patient. 
there are so many times, especially early on in the season, it doesn't matter, you know, what sport it's when we get done, even some training stuff, it's like, crap, I could have done more today. It's like, man, I should have really got after him. But then in the back of my mind, I just look at it as, and I it's explain this to the coaches often as much as possible because it's so easy to be like, oh, we should do one more rep. You know, every now and then it's okay. But um, I look at it as you're gardening. So when you first start this stuff, all you do is plant a seed. And you just got to water it, give it some sun. But if the first time you plant the seed and you just keep the water on because it's like, we got to go until we grind and it'll look good on Twitter and Instagram, you just killed that seed and you're probably going to have to replant it. Yeah. You know, you might have a strong one, and I think this goes with a lot of people. You'll probably have, I want to say, 5% of kids in your program that you could beat the living crap out of in the workout, make them puke and all that, and they're still going to improve, and they're going to love it, and they're going to grind and be fine and not beat up or injured. The other 95% of kids kind of don't survive that, and then you're wondering why your, your best kids are always, you know, hurt or whatnot. Because I was that kind of athlete growing up of, like, more, 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 more. But to be a coach for that is you have to be patient and then you just have to stick to it and use it, figure out something to always measure and use that as kind of your guiding force. So if today's our flying tens and we run two of them, the kid wants to run a third one, that's great. And if I see it as a tremendous drop off, it's like, hey, you're not running another one. Yeah, but coach, I could run another one. If it's early on the season, I'll be like, all right. I was like, what do you want to bet on it? You're not going to run faster. Because he wanted the kid wants to run it right away. And knowing that <laughs> at least five to ten minutes recovery, he'll go, no, no, coach, I'll beat it. I was like, all right. If you beat it, I was like, I'll let you run another one. If you don't, I was like, you got to go home. I was like, and you can't go to practice tomorrow. Oh, I'll beat it. So he runs again and runs even slower. Like, all right, I'll see you in two days. So <laughs> sometimes when you're starting off and trying this, you got to explore and you got to experiment and do it early on in the season. So that gets those kids bought in of like, crap, rest is important. I never thought about this. And that, do, that doesn't only help you and kind of stay the course, but it helps the kids understand of like, no, I need more time off. Oh, wait, I'm not, you know, I'm, my speed endurance isn't there yet. And I always tell them, it's like, we, we're not going to get that by running longer and conditioning on it. It's like, we got to take more rest and then you run faster again. Um, that would be my thing is just be patient and have the plan. And, you know, I've had assistance in the past of like, no, this doesn't work. It can't work. It can't work. And just use your times and what you're measuring. Make your decisions because you can go by feel, by feel or be like, oh, we got to do more. But just let your times do that and I mean, that will help you more times than not. And use the times also dictate of, hey, I need to cut this off. And use your eyes to, hey, the kid doesn't look right. Hey, we need to shut him down today so he's better for tomorrow. Right. And, and like you said before, I mean, if you're able to, I think you maybe said like 12 weeks, if you're able to cut like two-tenths of a second off or, or whatever, I forget the exact yeah. numbers, but something yeah. in that range. I mean, if you're able to just say to – the assistant coaches or to the parents or to the athletic director or whatever, like, Hey, give me 12 weeks, like give me 12 weeks. And then we can wait and see. Cause it's like for, for like a coach, maybe in like your first year being a head coach, like you're probably not going to have multiple years to like prove the concept. It's probably going to be like, show, show your shit pretty quick. Otherwise, 
know what I mean? Well, and I'm a, I'm a guy who, hey, if I if I learn a concept and understand it, like we're going to dive in today. So I was at TFC, you know, on that Friday, Saturday. Monday, we switched everything. How our warm-ups went to speed drills and – you know, we started timing on that Monday, and I had to figure out real quick how to get a free lap because I already spent all our track money like three <laughs> months prior to that, um, which I ended up getting a free lap about three weeks later through a uh, pasta dinner fundraiser. Got real creative on that. But um, I just think you, you got to dive in and, and show confidence in it. Not If you start second-guessing it, yeah. A, why would anybody else believe in you? B you end up just going to go back to default anyway. So you're wasting time. I mean, it could be any program in the world. If you show confidence and believe in it, the kids are going to believe in it. And at the end of the day, if you have the kids believing in it, you're going to get the best out of them. If you got kids watching it, second guessing, Oh, I don't know, coach. And Oh, we used to do it this way. I mean, that's the, that's the easiest way that would kind of kill anything like that because a, they don't have confidence in it. So how are you going to get the best results out of them? Yeah. So, just I, trying yeah. to trace that. What was uh sorry? What was that other question? So we t- we oh, talked about. I, I don't know if this was it, but it ties into like what you were just saying. How you were at the conference over the weekend, then Monday you started implementing it. So like with you, like would you consider yourself an early adapter, like in general? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. So so like so like that's relatively rare. So I think I think that. Um, ties in with like when you say 5% of your athletes are going to be successful anyway, no matter what you do, like high volume or you can do the wrong stuff. And then coaches see that a lot of times or trainers see that or as physical therapists or whatever, we see that. And then you assume that it's because of what you're doing that those kids are still getting better. So then it's hard to see something or go to like the course, even as good as a course like TFC. And then boom, you change everything right away because you understand it versus Being like, well, I get what you're saying, but I'm still having these four athletes that are like all all American, whatever, you know? Well, and that you kind of almost flip the script on that too by going there. And once you start doing tap on speed and doing, you know, minimal effective dose, it's like, man, I, I had some studs and just think how much better they could have been. Yeah. And then yeah, now you start really looking at that, it's like, like holy crap. He, he ran 11 one and we used to grind the crap out of him. Like yeah. think about what he would have done fresh. Right. And then he started thinking the way and like the girl I had who was at Jacksonville right now, her fastest hundred was 1142. And I know her, her coach has kind of gotten more and we even looked, you know, she's, we talk all the time still. And like, she's gone down to like, I just don't understand that if I'm not running 300s and 200s and stuff like that, how am I still going to be fast? And like, she ran her second fast time coming off injury, and she's like, I've done way less than I've ever done before. And it's like, yeah, because yeah. you're working on top speed and your body's getting used to that and it's being able to perform at that rate. So it's it's one of those things where I'm an early adapter and hey, I want to try what's best interest for the kids and hey, let's see if it works because I know at the end of the day. Even if it was something, you know, different, I'm not going to do anything to put kids in harm. And a lot of programs out there are good. I just think it's how you prioritize our stuff. Like where we're at right now, we still squat, we still clean, we still bench. Now, when I was at Bradford, 
we didn't clean because of I was sometimes the only guy in the weight room where we just had a couple coaches and we had a bunch of athletes. But all right, we're still going to get strong because in football, you t- you know, you need to get strong, you need to get bigger. But our what we prioritize right now is speed. So we put that on the front end and we do everything after that. Because at the end of the day, especially we're at speed kills and and uh. I know a lot of people think it, it grows on trees down here, but it doesn't. <laughs> so, and the nice thing about guys like you and coaches like you is you're not the person who's like, Oh, I didn't have this as a kid. These kids don't need it. Like a technology, like free lap. Correct. Right? You're just trying to give the best to them. And you're not all oh, back in our day. We did this and we had two a days and we didn't yeah. have technology. You're adapting. You're finding out ways how these kids react to your coaching whether it's, you know, texting them or using social media or using better technology. And it's just nice to see that instead of just being the de- someone stuck back in 1990 yeah. or 1980, 1970, whatever. So it's really nice hearing that from coaches these days that you are adapting to the times and giving the kids the best that you that you know how. Well, and at the end of the day, you want to give them the best experience you possibly can have. I mean, even I look at it, even if that kid – might not start for you or be in the program for four years or anything like that. It's like, have, have they learned enough through what you've been doing to know that being on a sports team, if you work hard, you will improve and get better. Mm-hmm. And I think you can track that many different ways. I think they can do that, you know, through, you know, hard times in sports, good times in sports. But I mean, really the minimal effective dose, it, it's like, Hey, you can work hard. And you are going to rain benefits. You might not be the fastest person in the track or whatnot, but listen, you are getting better over and over again. And it's not that they were hitting your ceiling yet. Yeah, I, I think, and that's a good life lesson too, where um, like working smarter or training smarter versus harder. Yeah. And not having it be a negative thing. Like, like say it's, uh, I don't know, you work on computers or something, right? Or you have, you have some, some job of that nature. Like, whether you put in 16 hours in a day or six hours in a day, but like you use that time way more efficiently. Like that yeah. it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, I just feel like things shouldn't be graded based on duration spent doing them. It should be like the efficiency and the effectiveness of the time that you do spend on it. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's a, like, cause the whole concept in my mind of less is more, it's so hard for people to like wrap their head around because as a society, we like, hold hard work like long hours as like the premium yeah yeah so the gold standard yeah yeah exactly so now now um i don't know maybe that's the lesson where as this becomes more common in training and sports and athletics it starts to be implemented more later in life in different facets well i hope so i mean i'll keep people around longer that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll feel the burnout but i mean you know as Tony would say, you know, healthy is happy and happy is healthy. And, you know, it is fresh is healthy. So as long as we're improving and staying fresh and staying healthy, I mean, you're giving the, the kids the best chance at the end of the day. And I, I think that's why we're all in this is to give our athletes the best chance to compete and perform and whatever that may take. And that goes for coaches too, in, in terms of being happy and healthy. If you can practice in 45 minutes instead of an hour and a half, you get 45 minutes more of your day so you can give more to your family and to your work and to your sleep and to the program. 
So then you're not burning out either. So it's it's a double win, really, for the oh. kids and for you. Oh, for sure. And then it's not like, oh, man, this sucks. We got practice today. Or right. you get later in the season, and if it's not a good season going on, be like, oh, I got practice again after school today. You know, I, the kind of double-edged sword there. You're 100%. Yeah. Well, man, it looks like it's getting dark there. So uh, we should, yeah, a little we should bit. probably let you go. Sure. Um, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. So the other thing that I actually had to present to the board, the school board. So name me this. How many superintendents do you know who checks 40-yard dashes? If you're testing eighth graders, football team, basketball, baseball team. I don't know. So I might have the – the greatest superintendent in the whole nation, Mr. Fought is uh, our superintendent here, and he has been eating up the speed stuff tremendously. He had me present to the Board of Education, the school board, of when we were about eight weeks in. He wanted me, hey, I want you to present what you've been doing with eighth graders, football team, track team, basketball, and baseball team. And at the time, I only really had data on the football and football, track, and basketball. And, uh, he he's a big proponent of like, man, this is something that we could, this could be taught in as young as elementary, middle school, high school. I go hundred percent. So, and I go, it, it currently isn't. So um, definitely I'll have to come back on and let you guys know where kind of I am in that aspect of how far along we are and um, training wise and kind of how the impact, because we're trying to make this work and set it up. So we uh, goes district wide where we have like I'm tracking flying 10 numbers and 40 numbers from elementary school all the way up to high school because I I believe if you can teach kids teach kids the skill of sprinting at a younger age the better athletes they'll be at later because I think you spend almost freshman year when a kid turns 14 or 15 they're almost like a hardened piece of play-doh that you're not going to change them too much but if we can change their mechanics at a younger age they're going to be better athletes and faster later on. So he is, he is, he's on my shared document of 40 times that goes out to the coaches. Let's just say that. That's and he awesome. checks it off and is like, man, did you see this kid improved? And I'll get text messages from him. So yeah, very, very fortunate and blessed to be where I'm at and superintendent who is like, Hey, what are we doing this week? Kind of thing. That's yeah. That's pretty rare, man. That's yeah. awesome. That's a good. So thing. I definitely, uh, I'll, would love to be back on and uh, could assure you guys update where we're kind of at with that because we're trying to figure out a few things and how we can keep tracking that and kind of push that over into other sports. Like I said, for basketball, we're using that to dictate, you know, kind of our week and do we need to get our better kids fresher? Do we need to push them a little more in practice? But I think that can trail over into almost every sport as long as you're, you're getting data on it. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where can people find out more from you? Do you have a Twitter, Instagram, anything like okay, that? Okay, so I am on Twitter. That is at Coach Fortney. And then I've written a couple articles on Track and Football Consortium. I wrote one, like my initial, like diving into Feed the Cats. And then two-way players for football. That, that was just kind of the thing I... I don't want to say stumbled upon, but kind of figured out by just watching. And that's another thing, like, 
the Chris Corfus effect of how it switches how I watch sports now of like watching people's bodies move and how are they breathing and okay, is their performance starting to go down? Are they moving slower? Are they not making the same cut that they made two plays ago? And then I wrote uh, the softball article about breathing on there also. And then wow. just uh, email is coachbradfortney at gmail.com. And I do my best to try to get back to people as quick as possible on that when they do get a hold of me. Perfect. So, yeah, we'll include links to all those in the show notes. Um, yeah. But, yeah, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for taking yeah. your time to be on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, too. I uh, really appreciate you guys reaching reaching out to me and, you know, giving me an opportunity. Sorry if I went over all over the place or anything like that. Um, <laughs> you did a great job. She'll be like, you get on stuff and you just start rolling. It's like, well, I get excited. <laughs> <laughs>